This week's episode is brought to you by Lovers of the Unique Resin Crafts. With a wide range of products from home decor, pride merchandise, and a growing selection of Warhammer-themed shot glasses, Lovers of the Unique Resin Craft has a little something for everyone. Use the link in the description below. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Kern Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How goes it, man? Uh, you know, it's stressful. <laughs> I got a lot <laughs> of things going on right now. I mean, like a lot of things I just don't have time for, but I'm trying to get through it. And uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm generally good. Let's go with generally good. Generally good's a good place to be. Yeah. I wish I had more money. But <laughs> everyone wishes they had more money, more time, less stress. That's more money the and triumvirate. More yeah, you are totally right, my friend. <laughs> oh, the elusiveness. What about Anyways, you doing? I'm going to go with uh, good enough. Good enough. All right. Well, then why don't we cut right into our patron sound off? Yeah, that's right. Patrons are the people that give us money to help us achieve that wonderful, wonderful triumvirate that we then go and sacrifice by doing this week week because we love to. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit, Kenny, Seth Decker, Jesse Johnston, and Donna Lucy. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. We got all sorts of great benefits and perks over there for all sorts of budgets. Now, anyway, you've seen the title. You know this is part three of an ongoing series on the MCU SmackDown, which means we have a guest. Our very own S.H.I.E.L.D. brother, the Chippa. What up? I am here and I am ready. I, uh, you know, to date when we recorded this for people, um, I saw a movie in a real honest-to-goodness movie theater today. And um, it's the first time I've done that in over a year and it felt great. And for those that are freaking out and going, oh God, the terror. Yes, it was still scary. Um, but I'm vaccinated and have been for over two weeks and decided to venture out. So me and uh, my brother, the everybody's favorite and antagonist, protagonist, whatever you want on Twitter, <laughs> Movie Bob, um, went and saw Godzilla vs. Kong. And I will not um, say anything other than we really enjoyed it. I, well, I desperately want to see that. But uh, my uh, Woonvog, we all know Woonvog, he, he told me, and I quote, don't you dare see that for the first time without me. So I got to wait to... Let me tell you how how awesome Bob is. I told him the minute I found out the two of us were going to have our vaccines done by the time this movie came out. I said, your birthday present on top of other things, I'm buying us tickets for opening day and we're going. And not only did I do that, but he when we when he got to the theater today, he told me, by the way, just so you know, I had an opportunity to see this on a screener earlier in the week and I waited Good man, good man. And <laughs> so we both saw it for the first time together. And you know, yeah, there's way more important things going on in the world. And yeah, this year has shown us that, you know, maybe the at the beginning of this pandemic and the insanity that there's bigger things than us. But I think we've all earned a little bit of comfort. And you take the wins where you can. Exactly. Yeah, and, and if we've learned we, anything. We got big stresses, small stresses. I've got personal stresses on top of the the big macro stresses we can just take a moment to talk about good movies <laughs> exactly so so that's what we're here to do so if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen our first two uh videos or uh, logs or 
podcast, whatever you want to call it. Point is, we're going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Infinity Saga, as it were, and figuring out what the quintessential movie is. We're going phase by phase, and we are currently on phase three, meaning we've already done phases one and two. I will do my best not to say what conclusions necessarily we came to in those two uh, those two episodes. If for some reason you're listening to this first, although you should go listen to those before you listen to this one at the very least. So today we're talking about phase three, and because phase three is much bigger than the other two, we are going to be breaking this up into two parts. So today we're just talking about essentially the first set of movie comparisons. We've got four rounds. Let's see if we can get through all four in an hour. Everyone awesome. on board? The clock is ticking. All right, let's get right into it then. Round one is because Ulrich decided unilaterally that Ant-Man was a phase three movie and not a phase two movie. We have Ant-Man versus Ant-Man and the Wasp. Dun, dun, dun. And since I'm introducing, I might as well start off by saying that I lean towards Ant-Man solely because I don't really remember too much about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, it didn't stick in my brain the way Ant-Man did. Which is too bad because I actually really like the Wasp. And part of the entire plotline of Ant-Man is that the the girl playing the Wasp is obviously the one who should be in the suit. And then she finally gets it in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, I don't know. I'm also a big fan of Edgar Wright. And you can still see some of Edgar Wright-isms in Ant-Man, even though the production story behind the scenes was a shit show. So uh, I also like that Ant-Man is kind of different by being, you know, a heist movie. Essentially, Ant-Man and the Wasp feels a little more MCU conventional, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was going to say, Axel, is that that's actually how I choose over these two. And I don't, uh, you know, conventional versus important to the MCU are the the kinds of things that we established um, early on um, in here. And, you know. To remind people, quintessential, if you're listening to this one for the first time, go back and listen to the others. But quintessential doesn't mean best. It means like time capsule representative. Um, You can watch it and get a feel for almost every bit of what we're talking about or every bit of what was important about it and not have seen the rest or just negate the rest and they didn't exist. With this, it's going to be a lot harder because it's such a big thing. But I think Ant-Man takes it really easily here. But the differences in these movies is it kind of goes back to um the discussion we had earlier on about the incredible hulk and movies like that ant-man is an outlier i'm not necessarily saying it's a great outlier i think the uh the duality between what edgar wright was trying to do and what peyton reed was doing doesn't seem to shoehorn into itself perfectly in this movie but i like both of those things on their own and i really like paul rudd and i like the cast it just has a way different feel it's a lot more lighter and less intense on the stakes and a little more silly not to say that you know i mean a lot of the mcu oh, come on are silly. michael pena existing instantly ups the scene. oh and i love michael pena but you know they're they're smaller films both of them and yeah. ant-man and the wasp just feels and this is not to take anything away from everyone they tried to up the bombasticness in the like you said mcu-ness and i feel like a little of the heart of the first one was lost in it i still think they're both enjoyable movies but yeah. um Ant-Man like, like, takes don't get, it. yeah like don't get me wrong i like the ghost story and mm. I think actually a lot of good like pathos there but it still feels more i i it, yeah the, the best way to put it is it still feels more like the rest of the mcu than ant-man one does where yeah. ant-man one feels like an oceans movie that just happens to have Ant-Man in it. (laughs) And and Ant-Man needs to be there. Like, yeah, they haven't really done, I feel, 
the full justice with Ant-Man yet. I feel like Paul Rudd still has some amazing things to do as that character, but you don't really get to um, important parts of the MCU without Ant-Man. So um, Ant-Man and the Wasp is kind of more of a side story and not in as bad of a way as like Iron Man 2 or Thor the Dark World or things like that were, but... Yeah, I mean, um, literally the only really important part to the MCU as a whole that happens in the Ant-Man and the Wasp is the post, like, credits kind of yep, thing. Yep, so. almost like they added that after they figured out where they were going. But exactly. We'll, we'll see. Um, what do you what do you... one is important for Civil War and through that important for what follows through Civil War just by Ant-Man's existence, so... What, what do you think, Ulrich? I think you're both crazy. I... Really? Oh, wow, good. All right. Good, let's hear it. Neither of these movies matter that much in the grand scheme. They're both Ant-Man. The reason Ant-Man's here is Ant-Man followed Age of Ultron, which definitely worked against it because it's like, hey, Age of Ultron immediately. That was a big movie followed by here's a movie where Paul Rudd pulls a heist that feels kind of like an Iron Man movie, which let's let the beats. There's an evil version of the hero who's mad at the protagonist for, you know, business dealings. And our female lead may be more competent. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp follows even worse Infinity War and is just like, hey, it's the first one again. But this time we have a slightly more interesting, you know, villain. And it kind of sets up stuff to come. I honestly, I don't have a horse in this race, but it's funny to hear you guys go, well, it's important other stuff to come. Is it? Is it really? I'm I'm going to say... Side by side, I feel it. it is just for introducing the character. Yeah, yeah. but even then, I, and then this is where I'm the weird man. I'm not a guy that worships at the altar of Paul Rudd. Yeah, okay. I, I adore Paul Rudd, but I know what you're saying. So. Yeah, like everyone's like, but it's got Paul Rudd. And I just go, and? Okay, but Ulrich, it sounds like to me what you're saying is, yeah, I don't think either of these movies are particularly important. Okay, fair. But when comparing the two of them, like, level of importance becomes relative to each other. Yes, relative to Iron Man or Captain America, these are not very important movies. But relative to each other, I think Ant-Man is more, quote-unquote, important, more mm-hmm. idiosyncratic. Ant-Man and the Wasp and- gives us Giant Man and Wasp. No, Giant and- Man comes from uh, Civil War, which came out before Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. Yep. So we get the wasp. And the wasp was already established in Ant-Man. The suit wasn't uh, in her hands yeah, yet. Yeah, well, so was uh, What's-His-Face's War Machine, but that didn't last. And Iron Man 1, it only counts when you put on the suit. Otherwise, or the leader, or the Mandarin, or the... Right, right. I mean, you can establish a character in one movie and then never see them again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like this one's a little bit different, though, because we straight up have Ant- the wasp said by name because Ant-Man and the Wasp already existed when they were Michael Douglas and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah. So like even in Ant-Man one, those characters existed, even if only Ant-Man shows up in that movie. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I don't really particularly care one way or the other. I'm just, well, then how about the interest of time? We have making the point for the audience. If somebody has an argument to be made, like, no, I don't, particularly care one way or the other i think they're both just okay for the record among my friends group when we all did the thing we're like hey what mcu character are each of us everyone basically told me i was ant-man so i was like i like paul rudd so that's fine (laughs) i'm not gonna ruin it for you anyway so with round two we get something i don't know if necessarily more interesting 
um, almost more one-sided as far as I'm concerned. We have Spider-Man Homecoming versus Doctor Strange. Boy, this one's got some homework for you, folks. So uh, first, if you want to, you know, get a bunch of background, go listen to... Well, if you've already listened to this one, listen to part one, you've listened to this one. But uh, go back and listen to our podcast on popular movies that we don't like. Mm. And you can get Axel's entire baggage for Spider-Man Homecoming done and out of the way in one go. Yeah, because for the record, I don't dislike Spider-Man Homecoming. I think I'm disappointed with it. I think I expect more from Spider- Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, period. He is. And because of that, I think that a Spider-Man movie should be better than just okay. Mm. I expect more from it. And to me, that's all Homecoming was, is okay. It's got a few great performances, but otherwise, it's just okay. Doctor Strange? I'd say Doctor Strange is okay, too. I'd say it's a little <laughs> bit better than okay, personally. Uh, but... If that's just talking quality, which is, again, not the point of this discussion. So this is a tough uh-huh. one because I like Spider-Man Homecoming. I, I, I like Doctor Strange as a character, but this one is so paint by numbers in a lot of ways. Ending excluded, endings its own thing, that this movie feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, this is our introduction of magic and the coolest thing they do is the Inception stuff. And the astral plane fighting, but this is not magic as I want to see it. Already you're touching on, though, that Doctor Strange is at least introducing things that are important going forward. I mean, literally the Time Stone and Doctor Strange himself play a huge role in Infinity War and Endgame. So what's there coming that even comes to that at all? We get to know our Spider-Man better. Except we don't, really, because Homecoming's not really concerned with getting to know Peter Parker any better. Homecoming's more concerned with being a John Hughes movie, which is... Anyway. <laughs> Chris, we need, we need your uh, biased opinion. I have this giant opinion. smile on my face. Um, <laughs> just devious smile. No, um, so here, here's my take on the two of these. MCU movies range in, in, in various levels of quality and and i've said this before none of them are bad in my opinion there's some that are close to that but a lot of the times they're saved by i just enjoy the universe or i just enjoy the characters the mcu's spider-man and the mcu's peter parker is a great find um i really like tom holland i think he just shows up on screen and without the need to do a spider-man backstory movie again because let's face it the reason they did this movie the way they did it is so we don't really have to go through all that crap again um he just shows up and immediately goes, I'm Spider-Man. And he's a good one. He's a damn good one. Um, I don't disagree. But this movie, just like what you guys already said, the movie is on autopilot. The movie is basically saying, hey, we have a really good Spider-Man. And hey, you know, uh, look at how amazing Michael Keaton is as the vulture um, in these written scenes. The scenes between him and Tom Holland are really, really good. There's a lot of pathos and there's a lot of character development in there i mean honestly sorry to interrupt you the the car scene is yeah one of the all-time best spider-man scenes to me now it's one of it's one of the all-time best scenes in the mcu the thing is and this is not taking anything away from anybody when you have spider-man films and most of the other movies in the mcu leaving out a small couple don't have successful film series before them where the characters are being reintroduced spider-man's a weird one because of that the general public already had a 
wow, we had two and a half ish Spider-Man movies that like, holy crap, like people loved these. Um, and they're great films. They're ten, even Spider-Man three is 10 times the film from a technical standpoint than Spider-Man homecoming is, but Spider-Man homecoming has a great Spider-Man. So that's really where a lot of people's, I think glasses are tinted and it's a very serviceable movie, but it's a very paint by numbers movie. Like you said, Spider-Man's introduction in another film on this list when we get here, because of how good Tom Holland is at just showing up and being Spider-Man, is all we really needed to have Spider-Man in the MCU. And for that, Homecoming just gets knocked out completely, in my opinion. I mean, honestly, what you just said there, they could have basically given Spider-Man what I call the Hulk treatment. Yes. After Mark Ruffalo shows up, we haven't had a Hulk movie since because we haven't needed one. He's just... Mm -hmm. Hulk in each movie, essentially. You could argue we desperately need a Hulk movie, but that's neither here nor there. I, I agree too, but I'm just saying that we've gotten to a point where like Hulk showed up in in Thor Ragnarok, and you know this is he had not had his own movie in forever, and still everyone buys it really well. And I think you could have easily done that with Spider Man, considering he has got the most movies of any character in this this franchise, like Chris was saying. Right. Whereas, um, whereas Doctor Strange is not only a brand new concept, but he's one of the weirdest concepts. I wouldn't say he's as weird as the Guardians of the Galaxy, probably, but the fact that up until this point, the MCU was like, yeah, magic isn't a thing. It's just science that we understand. And they bring in Doctor Strange. He's literally got to be like, okay, now there's actual magic. Yes, it didn't quite reach the levels of magic that I want yet, but it still is the kind of like, hey, you know how for the last like 12 films we've been basically completely avoiding the idea of magic? Well, now we're going to tiptoe you into real magic with this movie. So. Right, and, and I feel like there, there's a lot of movies on this list that I probably would have given Doctor Strange the edge on, and that's not to say that I think it's the best movie on this list, but I, I like it a little more than I think it sounds like you two do. Um, I, I, I like Doctor Strange because it is wholeheartedly unique in the MCU kind of the way in the way guardians of the galaxy is because it, I don't know. It it almost feels like they're pulling an older look into it. The rest of the MCU has a very, um, comic books like silver age comic books, but through millennial lens Mm -hmm. and Dr. Strange doesn't feel that way. Dr. Strange feels like a movie that might've been made in like the seventies, but it happens to have, but it happens to have nowadays special effects and technical budget. And I, I really like the way they introduced us into that world that way. Now it's a, like you said, it is a bit more grounded than I think it should be. I think that might've been the Marvel um, Marvel themselves that were holding that back because Scott Derrickson is a very out there guy, right? The dude, the dude is an interesting and out there and pushes limits on things. And I would imagine that's why he's not making the sequel that he wrote and Raimi is instead. But, um, I, I really, really like Dr. Strange and I think it's a stronger candidate in this phase. Um, have we really seen Dr. Strange be incredible yet? No, he does get a little neutered in, in the infinity war and Endgame movies actually, because of the fact that he literally could just end things it's kind of like their comic book version of dr strange could end the multiverse with you know a couple sentences but it's like it's like they spent all this time in infinity war dispatching vision because you kind of have to (laughs) and then they kind of went oh crap dr strange is still here we'll have him get around that one of he's new he doesn't have all his powers yet 
I will. That's true. I, I do think the fact that Doctor Strange is still coming into his powers, like I, that got a good impression of him as like in, in Infinity War. I love the whole like is a simple spell, but you'll find it's quite unbreakable. You know, just yes. like little little bits like that that shows yes. person that he's going to become. But real quick, as a, I think I might have given you the impression that I don't like Doctor Strange the movie that much. That's not the case. I like it a lot. I just have a number of very prominent issues with yeah. it. And, I, like, and I've heard you guys talk about it. I just wanted to make sure um, for a minute there, I was worrying that it was going to put it under homecoming. And I'm like, I, I, it's, it's blasphemous with a lot of people, but, and again, the, like I said, the MCU is such a hard thing, but it, as far as importance, Spider-Man homecoming just does not make it to the end of this. It, yeah. and, and it's well, not for lack of it being a good movie. I like it. It's just not, it's kind of limp. And you know, yeah. that's, that's not my thing too, is even, setting aside my personal opinions on the movie because again i love michael keaton as vulture i think tom holland is a really good version of spider-man i still like toby mcguire more anyway um i i think that as a movie it is it's a bag of chips it's not yeah. it's not yeah. a steak you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely and unless you know, unless you guys had come at me with like a really good argument for homecoming, I wasn't going to shift on this. <laughs> well, and we were we were talking Doctor Strange, and it just it popped into my head. Kind of, he's kind of in Gandalf the Gray territory where we have him in the MCU right now, where he hasn't quite come back with all of his powers yet. But yeah. and and so I'll give you that. I do like the him, you know, like looking into the future and going, yeah, I see how these outcomes are going to work, and if I say anything right now, it ain't going to go down. But it still seems kind of like. And again, this is the problem with superhero movies, right? It's why I don't like the Matrix sequels very much, because it's like, Neo, you're all powerful. Yay, this is boring. <laughs> you know? That's why, to be fair, though, that's kind of also why, because um, you mentioned the ending to Doctor Strange, Ulrich, and then we actually have to mention it for a second, because that ending was such a refreshing thing, I think, for a lot of the audience. Oh, yeah. That it was so different from every other kind of ending. It's different from the movie itself, because the movie is a very like rumor has it this was one of the ones that was supposed to be in phase one but never quite made it mm. and the script very much feels like a phase one movie and that we're still kind of copying it's part of his origin but part of the we're kind of still aping tony stark of i was a dick until something terrible happened to me and i had to rethink my whole life He's a little bit i have this superpower stark. and now i'm going to do good with this superpower and here's a guy with similar powers to me to punch up so it's like oh that's just maybe something it's very it's his origin to a T and it's very paint by numbers. But then you get that ending. It's like, Oh, this is not what I expected. And it's probably the best part of this movie. It's so damn witty and well done. Yeah. Well, I love well, the idea of it's a great insight into Dr. Strange of he's all powerful. Yes. But he's also very clever in how he in creative and how he uses his powers, which again, that kind of goes back to this movie's boring depiction of his powers. Well, but we've managed to fix that. Time doing it just spends too much time doing punching when yes. Doctor Strange should be doing crazy, yeah, like, yeah, and magic stuff. And now that you mention it, it, is one of the and I won't say few times because they've they've especially as the phases go on they do it a lot more. But I love superhero flexing. I love that's one of the my favorite things in the comics is when a superhero kind of just does the. Uh, I already have this figured out and you're done for. It's like it's like mate in three. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah, playing yeah. chess and I'm our, and I love that like air of, and they all have their own way of doing it. Like Spider-Man does some really funny ones, but it usually ends up with Spider-Man getting his ass kicked and then yeah. like having like a funny quip. But 
you're right. Getting Doctor Strange and and, um, and Star Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy with the you know it's I'm I'm, j- I'm trying to stall you or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> I I love that they've inherited that because I think a lot of people's issues with pre MCU superhero movies and the other people that are trying to make superhero universes is they forget the character in these superheroes. They just want them to show up and do comic panel things and be awesome. And they they have personalities and that ending bit with Dr. Strange is fully, he figured out his personality here. It is, you know what I mean? And it, it, it feels very genuine. I will also say, I know this is another movie, but when Doctor Strange fought Thanos and started using, like, I'm going to clone myself or I'm going to make a tons of, like, that was more, like, that magic use is what I'm talking about. But anyway, sorry. Back to, also, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch, like, because we were, uh, I remember Ulrich and I being both kind of apprehensive, Ulrich more so than me, because at the time I was a huge Sherlock fan. I have changed, my feelings are complicated on Sherlock now, but, (laughs) but I think Cumberbatch does a great job. I don't think he's nearly like uh, owning the screen the same yeah, way that like Patty Junior does or someone, but he does a very good job at, at a very, I think, deceptively complicated character. Yes, yeah. very, very true. All right, so I think we all generally agree, even if Ulrich might have misgivings, that Doctor Strange wins this, right? No, I'm, I'm for this one. All right, I want to make it very clear again. I like Far From Home a lot more than Homecoming, so it's not like I'm anti. Spider-Man movies, but Homecoming I have problems. Anyway, and I'll make it clear again that I have not seen Far From Home. That's full disclosure. Yeah. Anyway, so round three brings us to Thor Ragnarok versus Captain Marvel. And let's see, Ulrich began the last round. I began the first round. So Chris, why don't you lead us in this round? This is unfair. <laughs> I don't mean me going first. This is unfair because I feel like... um God, anything up against Thor Ragnarok in here was going to be really hard for the other movie to win. Um, yeah, uh, I feel spoiler: Thor Ragnarok is my favorite movie in the MCU. Period. So I'm yeah, biased. and I've oh. and I've warmed up on it a lot. Um, and I don't mean that I never disliked it. It was so jarringly different in what YTD was doing, and then they inherited that and injected that into the MCU and kept it, and I love it. But it was even more silly than Guardians of the Galaxy. And so I sat there and kind of went, man, dude, does this sketch comedy thing really work? And and it really does. But at the time, I was a bit hot and cold about it. But, but Thor and Ragnarok is an incredible movie. It's a beautiful movie. Um, And a lot of people, you know, there's been a lot of arguments I've seen out there for, you know, you can't call MCU movies being filmed because it's all done in a computer. Taika Waititi filmed this movie with the cinematographer he's worked with since he did his first movie. And a large portion of the effects in this film are in-camera tricks with blue screen stuff being added. But like That's that cool. Valkyrie flying in on the horse thing is a practical effect. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> he He created a lighting rig that in slow motion spun around her to do the lighting. Now, the horse is digital and the stuff around it, but the lighting on her in that scene, that beautiful, like, for... It was like this wire rig with her coming down, and I watched the behind the scenes, and I'm just like, it, it, it's the same thing with Rian Johnson. Rian Johnson's worked with the same cinematographer his whole career, and no matter what the discourse goes through, he made a very unique-looking Star Wars film, and... I love the look of Thor Ragnarok. I love seeing a guy that's used to like a couple people in a room talking sketch comedy type things on that type of scale, but the characters still felt so um, intimate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, 
it's it's that intimacy of of the sketch comedy improv world that really works so well um in the MCU. It's the next level, it's the next um iteration of what Joss Whedon, you know, which now we look at him completely different, but what what was so refreshing in the Avengers of hey, that man, that's sorry, side thing. Part. That's one of those that? things that I was going to say sidebar. That's one of those things that other than being, you know, d- d- questions of how good of a person aside, I still love Avengers and Buffy, yeah. Firefly. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just looking back. It's like it's one of those things where it's like an evolution past that. Like the Avengers needed that injection, but also everything about the way he approached stuff is a large portion of why Ultron doesn't work as well. On top yeah. of the studio meddling and all that other stuff. Ultron, but, we'll get to Ultron. But Captain Marvel being put up against any movie on this list, it unfortunately falls into the Spider-Man Homecoming ballpark. And this is not me trying to take anything away from Captain Marvel because the internet has done a good enough job of that. I really like Captain Marvel. It's I think Captain just... Marvel, sorry, I think Captain Marvel is a better movie than I hear a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. But I still yeah. think it's only like a you know, a solid B in the the category, you know, but a solid B is a great thing. Captain Marvel is, and I won't even call it a filler movie. It's just an entertaining, Hey, good job guys. Movie. I think Brie Larson is great. A lot of people don't. I thought she was awesome. Um, I I thought the movie, I thought the movie is awesome. I thought it's got some of the best de-aging stuff they've done in any of these movies with Samuel L. Jackson. He looks like he's having a blast. Like he is a lot of Sorry, it just makes me think. I still remember seeing that with uh, Tron Legacy years ago. And yep, <laughs> yep. Anyway, but, and again, it, Jackson, like, it, it's the most character, you know, in these movies he's really gotten to be. So it was great to see him. I love the setting. I love the um, Stan Lee having a Mallrats cameo, reading the Mallrats script. Like <laughs> that's really friggin' awesome. Um, it's just it's a cool Easter egg filled movie, but. Like some of the smaller things in the MCU, it feels like something that, you know, if it was made now, it would be a Disney Plus show. And that is not taking away the quality at all. It's just, it's way more, like, subtle and small and intimate than a lot of these movies are. And Thor Ragnarok is is big swing for the fences, taking a big um, uh, gamble with the tone that really worked out for them especially with the way they handled Thor, right? Taking Thor and turning it into funny Thor was something... I was about to say, that's one of my favorite things about Thor Ragnarok is as far as I'm concerned, it's when Chris Hemsworth finally really figured out the best way to play Thor. Not that he was doing a poor job before. I I love Thor beforehand, but I feel like the version of Thor he honed in on in Ragnarok, which is totally an MCU thing and not really connected to the comics at all, but is a version of Thor that I adore and I'm so right. happy that he found. So yeah, I would say out of, uh, for me, out of the two rounds we've done before this and this one, Thor Ragnarok wins all three of these rounds. Um, so you could have put it up against anything in here and it would have taken them all. Captain Marvel probably would have been a more interesting discussion pitted against Homecoming. But again, I think that diminishes both of those movies a little bit too, because they're good for different reasons. Like Homecoming is really good because of a strong character and lesser good movie. Captain Marvel is a good movie and a character that really, you know, was kind of given a disservice by the way the movie's kind of released. You know, that weird, like, you know, I don't think we've gotten enough of Captain Marvel in the MCU yet. Um, and then when she shows up in the later movies, she's kind of used as just a hired gun to blow shit up. Yeah, I was about um, to say, that that's a big problem, is that, I mean, Captain Marvel is made to be 
possibly the most powerful she's the most powerful avenger at this point she's supposed to be and because of that once she gets control of her powers she becomes kind of a living MacGuffin, which is um probably a disservice to uh to larson's acting because i think there's like regardless of questions about her as a person because i've had some friends arguing about this i think larson's a really good actress yeah i like her a lot as an actress but I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, you two think, but I think it's Ragnarok all day long. All right, Ulrich, what do you, what do you think? This is a tricky one. Oh, good. you yes. guys make good points. And I am very divided on Thor Ragnarok. There are parts I like, like Chris has pointed out. It's a well-shot movie. It's got some good parts. But here's the comparison to me. Captain Marvel is a good Captain Marvel movie. Thor Ragnarok is not a good Thor movie. And when I say that, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying this is not an adaptation of the character or the character's setting in any real way. You know what? Even though it's my favorite movie in the MCU, I don't disagree with you. Because like yeah. I said, the, the so, version of Thor that Chris Hemsworth has locked onto bears almost no resemblance to any comic book version of the character or cartoon version of the character I've ever seen. That doesn't bother me because I love the version he's using, but I get what you mean. I so that, like that, it, but then it becomes the question of if you're not, if you don't want to do that world, that character, why do it? Then we need to bring up our three criteria then, right? Yeah. yeah the other thing is, I want to talk about, like this is my big, my big issue with yeah. Thor Ragnarok is if there is ever a serious moment or a serious scene, this movie runs away at a dead sprint, making quips as it goes going, nope, I will not address that. I will not talk about that. We are not going to have a serious moment, which I didn't understand And I still don't understand, because I've seen Jojo Rabbit. Taika can do serious and humor and balance it. Real quick, Ulrich, I would would say you're not completely right. It does have a few serious moments. Like, literally... They're immediately undercut by jokes, though. Asgard gets blown up, and we make a joke. Warriors 3 all die, we don't address it. Yeah, but those are the ones you're focusing on. Think about, say, the serious moments with Banner dealing with realization of where he's been and seeing Scarlet... Or seeing... Black Widow's uh, message. Nothing about that center cut with a joke. Hulk has this big moment where he transforms and just silly putties off the rainbow bridge. Yeah, but I'm just saying that like you can't say all moments because there are plenty of moments that are not yeah. undercut by jokes. It's One just that the moments you're focusing on are the ones that are undercut by jokes. You get, you get okay, you got, the, I don't know, that's something. But that that's always bugged me, and that is like the big criticism of marvel movies is they're just quips and jokes without any substance and thor ragnarok does not help that criticism that's fair okay but it does also does a lot of well i just i don't understand why it wanted to divert and do world war hulk and call it i don't know i am i am very mixed about ragnarok because it does some good stuff but it also has you know the executioner in there and he's why are we wasting that character and Carl Urban. Carl Urban is made for a Thor movie. The dude loves this stuff, and he's kind of thrown away. And we do get the good scene with Loki and Thor, so there is that. We get that arc kind of closed. So, then, what are your thoughts on Cat? You to spend all this time talking about Thor Ragnarok. What are your thoughts on Captain Marvel, though? I feel like everyone is way too harsh on Captain Marvel because it does the hat trick that they honestly haven't really done with any of the ones. It's a good origin movie. This tells you the origin of the character. This tells you the character's powers. It's interesting. It fits the character. I mean, we can argue that Spider-Man Homecoming or Doctor Strange were not necessarily good origin movies to their characters. And 
Ant-Man's kind of bland and forgettable. I mean, Captain Marvel has two real big flaws. One, in that it's sandwiched between two big event films. Yeah. And two, it's, again, an origin movie in a row of, well, it's between two big, you know, movies. This one was supposed to be, like, way further back, again, in the shuffle, but for reasons, quote-unquote, the Marvel wasn't interested. Well, it's not true. Uh, Mike Perlmutter was not interested in doing women or people of color in the Marvel movies because no one wants to watch that. Yep. I, I will say as a sidebar real quick, I have to completely disagree with you that Ant-Man is bland because I, I feel like I, Ant- I don't, okay, bland isn't the right word. I will say like Captain Marvel is, can be more easily accused of that than Ant-Man can. Because again, I like Captain Marvel, but it's closer to convention than Ant-Man is. I disagree. So, we get the whole scroll mislead, which for comic people, I was going, all right, secret invasion. They went, no, we're not doing that. And it's like, oh. And I mean, I got that great, they got the great villain showdown. They subvert, you know, Jude Law is going to fight Captain Marvel in a big smackdown. And she just goes, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And that ending is, again, we're not having a big punch up. It's just her of, I'm not, I'm done fucking around. I'm going to destroy all of this and go off into space. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, and again, we, we have to keep reminding ourselves of what this is um, each time. But our criteria then, what did we say? It was importance, importance, to, the importance phase, to the phase. Importance which, to the saga. Yep. And most indicative of the saga as a whole. Yep. So we start off with the importance question. Importance so, to Im- the phase. Importance to the phase. I don't think, looking at the rest of the movies in this phase and thinking about uh the other it's hard to say because the 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 avengers movie at the end of this phase is infinity war which brings us kind of makes those two questions importance to the phase and importance to the the saga as a whole a lot closer than they were in the previous phases you know yeah yeah so then then instead of saga as a whole on this one we can say how um how good of an adaptation of their source material they are that was a criteria we've tried to use before you know is it a good comic book movie of these yeah but that was also kind of because there's a thing about that that i remember thinking myself that while i don't think thor ragnarok is a good adaptation of a thor comic i think it is more of a comic book feel movie than most of the things in the mcu so that becomes a tricky question for me to balance right and that that, that's why i think it's an interesting one all right well let's, let's deal with the other things first which of these movies is more indicative of the mcu's tone as a whole and even though I like Thor Ragnarok way more, and it basically started something that, as Chris said, got picked up by the MCU, when I say Captain Marvel is closer to convention, what I'm saying is it is definitely more like what, if someone was just like, what is the, here's an M, the slot where an MCU movie goes, I can see Captain Marvel just fitting in there the same way I can see Iron Man fitting in there. Yeah, this or, point this point goes to Captain Marvel all the way. Captain Marvel sits on a shelf with Iron Man and... um. You know, I won't say Captain America, the first Avenger, because that one's not really conventional. It's different. Um, But, you know, we're still doing all they're all good origin stories of their character. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but it's 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 how it feels in the grand scheme of, you know, you watch Captain Marvel, you know, you're watching an MCU movie. If you had never heard of Thor before and Thor Ragnarok kicks up, you're kind of like, why is he hanging upside down making jokes at a fire demon? You know, (laughs) like, what am I watching? Now, personally, I'm just going to put my little my little bit in here because I wanted to I, I, I try not to 
because again, I admit I'm biased in favor of Thor Ragnarok. I, while I've always understood where Ulrich was coming from, the more I thought about it, and I gotta go re- back and rewatch it, again, I think that Taika Waititi, just like with Jojo Rabbit, does have moments in Thor Ragnarok that he treats with serious gravitas and doesn't undercut with jokes, like the stuff having to do with Banner, or Thor's conversations with Odin. Like, both the real Odin and his, like, dream Odin are all taken with complete seriousness, and they're actually very effective for me. I mean, it's a cool line, but it also tells me something a lot about the character when Odin says, are you the god of hammers? And that entire Mm -hmm. sequence isn't a joke sequence, it's a revelation sequence. So I don't have the same issues that that Ulrich has there. And Thor Ragnarok really works well for me. It also is, for me, the best depiction of Hulk, period, which is just an extra giant bunch of cherries on top. So Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I want to pin something real quick, because you brought up a good point, and maybe we can weigh this in. The hammer was always about channeling Thor's power. That's what this movie sets up. But the next appearance of Thor, Thor immediately goes and gets a new hammer. I would say that a big part of what this movie sets up is that the hammer was a channeling tool for him. And yeah. That, and that so why the events of get Thor a new hammer? One, the events of well, Thor 1 tied it intrinsically to him, but that that wasn't how what it was originally designed to do. The new, yeah, the new saying, hammer the new hammer is him being told that's the only way he can take down Thanos. That that had like a mystical like prophecy thing going on with it. Anyway, but to to to, to cap what I was saying real quick. So so I have no problems with, with Thor Ragnarok on these kind of basis. I adore it. I adore, I think it's the best version of both those characters to show up in the MCU. I think that the villain is extremely well done while feeling like something very different from everything else in the MCU. So so Thor Ragnarok gets the like very much its own thing compared to Captain Marvel's feeling like it can fit into the slot. As a movie, I thought Captain Marvel was, again, a B. I, I liked it. I feel like there's a big part in the middle that I just don't remember very well at all. I remember the big blow up everything at the the end, and I actually don't remember the first beginning of it. So it definitely doesn't stick in my memory as strongly. I feel like, yes, I agree that Captain Marvel takes the, this is more indicative of the saga as a whole point. I will agree to that. I think importance to phase slash saga probably goes with Thor Ragnarok, because while Captain Marvel being a MacGuffin, essentially... Uh, is kind of important to the final battle in Endgame. As we've established, Captain Marvel doesn't really play that much of a role in in these movies. No, on Captain Beyond Marvel. Game. Captain Marvel can show up in Endgame without her movie. Whereas it's it's, it's the Spider Man thing again. Sp- Peter Parker. It, and again, this is to say Brie Larson as Captain Marvel is is quite an iconic thing when she shows up so for her to show up in endgame it's like yep i fully get what this thing is like i don't need a whole movie this is secret weapon you know space superhero i'm on um whereas, same thing uh, with spider-man whereas yeah, thor is literally going through a character arc that begins in ragnarok and comes to its conclusion in endgame well it's not even really concluded endgame we're just kind of in the next stage of it, but it really yeah. starts its journey in Ragnarok. So by that alone, I feel like Ragnarok has more importance. Plus no. how Banner exists in comparison to the Hulk in Infinity War. I feel like that starts in Ragnarok as well. So Ragnarok Ooh. is the gap bridge between uh-huh. I'm gonna between I'm gonna the Hulk Earth, on his own. Well, but uh, Thor Ragnarok is the gap bridge between Earth set MCU and the full-on bug nuts guardian space set MCU, because it brings our characters from Earth, like Banner, 
and Thor, who we've mostly seen on Earth, even though we've done the Asgard stuff. Asgard just feels like, you, you know, it's an alien planet. It's not in space. You know what? It, th- those are two yeah. different yeah. things, right? The Guardians movies set up this very like, okay, we're introducing the rest of the universe to the MCU. And Thor Ragnarok goes, we're going to have feet in both of those things for a whole movie. And it kind of sets you up to want these characters to be able to exist together. And I know that, you know, the Guardians aren't in it, you know, but it it kind of with that humor merge and the tone merge and the setting merge, it kind of opens that door Um and maybe it was written that way. Maybe it was written in a way that in case people didn't buy into the Guardians movie, they still had a way to do that. I don't know. There's also but, uh, a lot of narrative points that are kind of important in Ragnarok for Infinity War to function the way it does. Like the very, very basic one of Bruce Banner being able to meet Thanos and then bring the warning to Earth. So, Yeah, this is actually a way tougher one than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, I think I know where I'm leaning. I'm going to put Hulk on an island, because when you start pulling at Hulk threads, the argument starts falling apart, because less said about Hulk, the better. Yeah, but I still think it's... Uh, the point is that it, I think it's important to the conversation. Like, Yeah, but I don't want to talk about how Hulk's not a character as much as he is a piece. And that's a whole other big... I feel, it's we, funny, because I feel the we, opposite. We may do a buckler about that, because there's a conversation... Yeah, sorry, that would make a Hulk great buckler. I'd like to be there for that, actually. Yeah, because I definitely feel the opposite. I feel like Thor Ragnarok was the first movie to give Hulk, like, real time to be a character. We got glimpses of it. Banner's been plenty much a character, but Thor Ragnarok was the first one to really be like, what it makes Hulk tick separate from Banner, in a way. So It's going to be its own thing, because there's conversation we had there. So here's my, my train of thought, and I will always, I will, I'm mad at this point. Maybe Love and Thunder will do it. I will be disappointed, I'm currently disappointed, there's the phrase I want, that I have yet to get a good Thor movie, or no, a great Thor movie, that, you know, checks all the Thor boxes. Thor 1 was the closest as an adaptation. Thor gets close. It really does. The Dark World aesthetically gets there, like it really makes these feel like space Vikings, but it kind of fails on a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And this one finally embraces the gods in the world, but then quickly shuffles off to go do Planet Hulk. Can I add, can I add another argument real quick? Sure. So we've established at this point that the heart and soul, as it were, of the Infinity Saga is Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, right? Yep. So now I remember a long time ago hearing someone, it actually might have been Bob, I'm not sure, hearing someone describe the three basic archetypes of a superhero and how Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor fit the three different archetypes. Now, I'm not going to claim that Thor is the same level of heart and soul of the saga that that Captain America and Iron Man are. He isn't. <laughs> but I feel like he definitely, as a character, is like if there's a, if there's a tier of importance of characters and Steve Rogers and Iron Man are in their own tier at the top, Thor is in the next tier below that. Whereas Captain Marvel as a character is in a pretty low tier because of that whole not really used anywhere. So because of Thor's importance and the nature of the arc that Thor is going through through Infinity War and Endgame and that beginning in Ragnarok, there is a kind of like importance to the character that is itself a separate conversation as importance to the saga that I think is important for me anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
dead. Yeah, killed sorry. Him. I had to take care of something real quick. So, yeah, no, I agree. And here is the nail in the coffin that kind of pushes me in favor of Thor Ragnarok overall, is the arc, Thor's arc in this, you need for Thor's arc in Infinity War and Endgame, in that Thor goes right off the trauma of Ragnarok into Endgame, into Infinity War. The Thor and Infinity War is a direct result of all of the trauma that happened in Ragnarok. You know, losing his home, losing his father, losing his friends, losing just everything and carrying that guilt, followed by failing in the one thing that he felt he could do. So that is its one big argument. I I disagree with Chris's claims that you could just plop Captain Marvel in because I don't think she's a well-enough character. But Thor's arc is so good in Infinity War and Endgame that it is a it it feels it's a part of the story. You can't take that out. You couldn't cut this out and have Thor being depressed and have it hit the same stakes of, well, you know, he lost. That works. But you also have that he lost. And then there's all the trauma from before he even showed up at play, you know? Yeah, yeah well, that's what I was. That's what I was trying to say when I said that his arc began in Ragnarok. But thank you, Ulrich. For you saying. know, you know, I I want to after after hearing that because I thought that was really really well put, Ulrich. Um, it brings, and this is this is something we can put a pin in, and see where we get to when we get through the whole way. But we've established that Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are still so well established as characters at the minute they show up, right? The Tony Stark you get later while he's been through changes and been through stuff does not um, does not go and uh, like betray the Tony Stark that we saw earlier. You know what I mean? It, it's that guy through. <laughs> but Thor has grown and changed and shifted with the movies as they've kind of hodgepodged what they're going to mean to the greater good. So it's almost like the MCU, when they make wholesale thematic changes in the direction they're going to point things in each phase they're kind of pushing those onto thor and thor's having him carry that <laughs> what was that i said that so you're saying thor's like our litmus test for the overall tone of this. right right and and i and people could say the negative is because well people weren't really interested in the thor movies but i disagree they just all showed up for ragnarok but um if that character seems to take on a lot of the the outs and again, maybe it's by design, but he takes on the universe trauma, right? Like the Guardians have their own personal trauma. The people on Earth have their own personal trauma. But Thor's taking on the everything around me is being ruined and destroyed all the time. And my decisions are directly affecting that. And it really took Ragnarok for Hemsworth to show that he can portray that. And I think that's really important to the MCU as a whole. It doesn't put him up at the level of Steve Rogers and Iron Man yet because they're just such complete characters. But I feel like he's a really good um, sponge for it. You know what I mean? Yes. So, And I hadn't really thought of that until Ulrich said just that just then. So that's really cool. All right, gentlemen. Question time. The next one is Black Panther versus Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Oh, Boy. This is the one that I was most in fear of actually going oh. into this conversation. So now, this is so hard. Given the time we, we, we have, right at the top, can we just for a moment say that there is a a thing that hasn't really been a question before now, but I have to bring it up. 
not importance to the MCU, but importance as film. In which case, Black Panther takes that oh. no fucking question. So I'm just saying that I don't know if that's going to relate to this conversation, but it has to be mentioned. No, it's it's the most important point in this conversation, in my opinion, because it's the only thing. No, not the only thing. I love Black Panther, but it's yeah. the only thing that can pull my very biased, deep-seated, um, personal trauma and attachment to Guardians of the Galaxy Oof. 2. No, this is only... So, given the time we are at and given the length of this discussion, do we want to proceed or do we want to call it here and let's return see, let's, give it, let's give it 10 minutes. See if we can get to something in that space. <laughs> I agree. I, I'm, I'm primed and I really want to talk about this. 10 or 15 this. even. Just let's, okay, let's go. So this... This is a tricky one. This, because, well, first we got to talk about, it's not the elephant in the room, but it says like, Chadwick Boseman, gone too soon, hell of an actor, perfect. Probably the, this was, he, one of the rare examples of perfect casting in the MCU right out of the gate. Especially considering Black Panther's a character that is, as far as my understanding, is, how do I phrase this properly? Not as well known in the circles that he should be well known is pre this movie. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And, and the there's no... was, he wasn't on shoes. <laughs> yeah. Before the this fact movie. That Chadwick Do you know Boseman, what I mean? Yeah. The fact that Chadwick Boseman in Civil War instantly sold the character and that Black Panther is a movie, like, is in my opinion probably the probably the best origin story in the MCU, even though it's not as much an origin. It's, it's iffy on if it's uh, story, but I, I, there's so much going on in Black Panther that's like really important to me. Other than you know the stuff that not none of us three are qualified to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, so, this is this is a tricky one because I have issues with Black Panther, but I also recognize how big and important and grand and great and cool it is. Now, also, but I love two, Guardians of the Galaxy the Volume Two like, so 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 much. And I want to defend it because I feel like that's everyone's favorite punching bag of the MCU, aside from Spider-Man Homecoming, but that's mostly Spider-Man fans' punching bag. Well, I okay. also I also feel like we cut Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 in a very difficult discussion, partially because we were like, Guardians gets another shot with Volume 2, which does all the same stuff Volume 1's doing, and maybe a little bit better even. So, yeah. so there's a part of me that doesn't want to write off Guardians purely on that merit. Well, let, let, me, let me start by saying that all of those things we just said really important. I want to get, there's an elephant in the room that none of the three of us are capable or um, we're not experienced. We, we aren't the right people to be talking about, but I want to state that there's important things in each of these movies that I think if someone looking out from the outside saw Black Panther against Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, they're going to see a movie made by a bunch of white dudes and then Black Panther. And the thing we forget is how much inclusion James Gunn puts into his movies. The Guardians of the Galaxy films are full of it. I mean, look at just the way Dave Bautista has been, you know, um, uh, um, brought in by the the autism and you know um, community, the the people on the sp- like, and he's he's embraced that. You know what I mean? And like made the character be a champion for them. And the fact that Gunn is, was one of the most politically you know, um, just out there and angry and in Trump's face and everybody's face that was against marginalized groups. Both of these films are incredibly important social 
um, movies, but Black Panther could be argued to be one of the most important, if not the most important superhero movies from a standpoint of things like that. So it's almost like we need to put those aspects of the films aside, because if not, Black Panther just bulldozes over everything. Not saying that it... Yeah, that's why... Sorry, that's why I wanted to start with that question, because, like, I feel like it's inarguable that for reasons, again, that none of the three of us are qualified to talk about, but we can all respect and understand, Black Panther is a more important movie, period. And, is, and it's and it's a better movie. And, it's and a I don't movie, and I, yeah. And I That's don't mean not, that and that I necessarily like it better, but Black Panther is probably the best film in the MCU. I agree with that, but that's because personally I think that Captain America the First Avenger is probably the best film in the MCU. Oh, and, and that's why I said arguably because yeah. it just it's there's just something about Black Panther that makes it feel like it's not doing the MCU thing. And I and I don't mean that as a dig at the MCU. It's just it feels like a filmmaker came in and went, "Hey, <laughs> like I want this to look a certain way," and was allowed to make it look that way. I also and... want to say that another thing that's happening here that's interesting: Black Panther does, in my opinion, the best version of the the villain is just the hero. But oh, because Killmonger is just Black Panther, but evil, but not evil and i mean killmonger is such a i i like michael b jordan before that but <laughs> let's just yeah. say think about it this way killmonger has an arc that you hate and understand and are sad when he's off more i say i love the fact that in and maybe you i don't know if you guys have experienced this but in my experience black panther made the word colonizer come into our normal parlance like i'm sure that there were groups of people who've been using that term that way for years beforehand but ever since black panther i see people of all kinds using the word colonizer in that very specific context so in a and that's one example of a tangible way black panther straight up changed reality to me no and and this is the deal right killmonger in a single film Thanos was the overarching villain of all of this, so we can't take anything really away from Thanos. Thanos is a great villain, but it took an entire set of sagas to give us a villain in Thanos that worked the way that it needed to. Killmonger shows up and has his entire arc in one movie, and it's perfect. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, now, now argue... just because in the interest of... Sorry, continue, Chris. Well, I was just yeah. going to say... One could also argue that um, our villain in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 follows a similar vein in that we're introduced, are made to love, made to hate, and made to understand all at the same time as well. So I mean, can, the... I say, can I say as a sidebar that one of my – if I were to list like my top five favorite moments in the MCU period, I don't think it my number one, but my number two would probably be the moment of – I was so sad to put a tumor in our head, followed by just shooting. Yeah. Because yep. there was something about, there was something so relatable. And I, I was like, I mean, Star-Lord's always been a relatable hero, but I was literally sitting there like, I would have done the exact same fucking thing. And I would have been extremely yeah. disappointed if you or didn't do what you just did. That he gets, they get, he has powers cosmic and he's playing catch with his dad. It's, it's unfucking believable. And that's why it's so hard with these two. Cause I think, this is a Titan match. To and me, I, I want to make one point also, real quick. Also, we have a... Here's another thing I, I've got to bring up. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 
is more than almost any other movie uh, in the MCU, almost, about artificial family. We talked yes. about this about in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And the MCU as a whole is about artificial family. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is focusing in specifically on fatherhood because that's you know the main thing going on with Gamora and uh, Nebula versus Thanos as well as... Um, Ego? Is it Ego? Is ego, it ego, yes. Yep. Yeah, as well as Ego. But it's still doing the same thing. I mean, there's a reason why he may have been your father, boy, but he want your daddy got so big <laughs> in, in the community, you know? So, yeah. whereas Black Panther, kind of like Chris said, is dealing very specifically with questions that have, up to this point, not been important to the MCU at all, but are super important to reality. So, I'm having a... The way I'm leaning right now is I'm leaning towards Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with a giant asterisk that, like, bolds everything we've said about Black Panther being a better and more important movie to cinema. But so this I, is not a question about that. This is a question about it important to the MCU. Well, and again, but important to the MCU, you know, I don't think either of us have said reasons for that yet. So that's yeah, the, the one thing I want to say next is there's an emotional investment in this. And... That's to say there should be in all of these, but, and again, people, people are going to get on this and, oh, these movies are stupid and whatever. Yeah. A lot of them are kind of throwaway and they're kind of benign from an emotional standpoint. You know, there's when there's things that these characters do that elicit an emotional thing in you, whether it's something you always wanted to see. What I did not expect going into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is that for the last half an hour of it, I would be a bawling mess and have to see the movie a second time because I honestly did not see what happened. This movie hit me, and and as a guy, it's hard for us to admit that kind of this thing hit me at oh. a level that I don't think any film I've ever seen. Can I hit can me. I hit you in a personal space real quick, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this movie come out after a certain tragedy in your family? Well, very close. This movie came out after we had been putting my father through rehab for alcoholism, and I was dealing with a lot of emotions with him. Shortly after this film came out, he died. Um, from an unrelated to the alcoholism accident. Um, we had him sober, and this movie just hit a lot of... Sorry, I, yeah, I never gave that caveat, but my father loved music. Father and Son was an album like that we listened to together. Do you know what I mean? It's like James Gunn was writing this movie from my brain. But the reason I want to say that on this level of importance is that's what that movie means to me. That's what that movie means to a lot of people that have a similar experience to me. But there's enough people that kind of poo-poo this one out of existence because it doesn't resonate with them at all. And that's why I want to say that that's not to take away from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just Guardians of the Galaxy has a very specific resonance that I think if it speaks to you, it speaks to you huge. But if it doesn't, it's almost benign. And I do think that there is an argument to be made that I was probably overlooking that if a large part of what's happening in the MCU is reaching an audience, speaking to an audience, teaching certain almost ineffable qualities of what it means to be a hero, Black Panther reached a community that wasn't being spoken to directly and did what the MCU is supposed to do specifically for that community. Right. So right. that argument, I think, is a very strong and, one. And that that's the exact argument I was trying to make, is that as a as a white guy who's had a tragedy in his family and understands what it's like to not have a dad guardians of the galaxy volume two is one of the most successful movies at eliciting a specific emotion in me and making me feel seen. 
I felt very seen by Guardians Volume 2. I felt very raw and open emotionally, and I, I was able to open up about a lot of what I was feeling because of this movie. And I will never, ever, ever take any points away from the film for being able to help me with that. But that's my story. There's a lot of father and son movies out there. I'm not saying that to discredit this, but it's it's a trope that's out there. You know what I mean? There are not yeah. that many superhero movies that go, hey, group of inner city kids that, you know, need a superhero that needs somebody to look up to, group of, you know, um, kids who are, you know, poor or kids that are really, really well-to-do and just, you know, have had a history in their family or come from a particular race or creed or group of people that have been completely shit and cast out by society. This movie is talking directly to you. Not only did it do that, but to the people that also could have had a reaction from Guardians 2 or also would have loved Captain America or also would have loved Iron Man because they saw themselves in that movie, those people saw it too. That's what was so damn important. I sat in a theater on opening weekend for Black Panther, and there were three elderly women that were white women who were out for like their, you know, afternoon, we're going to just see whatever's playing at the local theater. You know, it's one of these small mom and pop theaters. And they were laughing and loving and enjoying every minute of this movie. And at the end, they said literally to the three of us, not joking, are there other films in this series we want to see them. This wasn't fans of the MCU that saw them all. They saw just this one movie and wanted to know what more they could see. To me, there's no other argument for why Black Panther isn't one of the most important movies in all of these because of that. You know, I after listening to you and talking through it, I've I've shifted my lean. I'm now leaning towards Black Panther. I do want to say, while you were saying that, my my lady whispered in my ear that one thing we don't want to overlook is just a thing to be said is that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy not just deals with the question of, of fatherhood, but also has a big question about the idea of, uh, of like, art, or what are we going to call it? Not artificial fatherhood, but the idea of stepfathers and adoptions yes. and things like that. that that's just, what I mean. It, it's got so many important points, too, that are just, ah. Yeah, but, <laughs> but some for some reason, you talking that made me start thinking of what I said before, the idea that Black Panther is, I think, doing the entire purpose of what the MCU is specifically for people who didn't get to have it to the same degree. So in that kind of sense, I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say, but it feels like it is more important to what the purpose of Marvel as a brand is. And in, and I mean that in a positive way, not a capitalistic way, but as in a what good can these stories do for humanity in, what in is the... one film in one film it puts these stories and this character on that level of iron man and captain america of just like these are your people do you know what i mean like this is this is you cover the bases right like black panther can speak it reaches across race it reaches across sex it reaches across all of these things that are often avoided in superhero films. You know, the, the, the majority of these are made for 18 to 35 year old white guys, right? That's literally what this movie Black Panther is the antithesis of. And for all of the great things Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 does, and it does so many of them great, and it is very inclusive, at the end of the day, it still kind of falls into that box more than Black Panther does of... Yeah, it's speaking to me, and who am I? But Black Panther also speaks to me, not that it's my story, not that it's my experience, but it makes me feel it. 
it makes me understand almost it can never understand the hurt but you can look at it and go i feel like i'm part of it now i feel like i can be part of the solution black panther it it, it it's not, it doesn't militarize you it empowers you it's an empowering freaking movie and that's what superhero films are supposed to be yeah and not not just superhero films i think superheroes stories i yeah. think that's the thing i'm trying to get to is that black panther i think is almost like almost like there's another point of importance to the medium as a whole and i feel like black panther has an importance there too because of what it's accomplishing sidebar we didn't also mention that there's a sister kind of thing going on in regards yes. to that hit me really hard but yes. anyway i feel like chris and i have been going back and forth for a bit Ulrich, what are your thoughts in this discussion this is a tough one because i really love both of these movies guardians gets points for you know personal stuff and you know all the points we gave the original guardians black panther gets all the points we've mentioned plus some of the stuff there's a couple little things about black panther that i kind of go while story-wise yes it is the best representation of the mcu if we wanted to put it in a time capsule but there's also all the corners they cut, which really feel gross and unnecessary now, the more you look at it. Mm-hmm. I I don't have a clear solution. Like I said, I don't... Here's, here's, another, here's another argument I want to put forth. Not an argument, but another point I want to put for consideration. Black Panther was introduced in Civil War, and we got a... Uh, not a full understanding of him, because again, that Black Panther really comes in his own in the movie, but we have an understanding of him. And I feel like... When it comes to just importance to the phase, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, if we don't have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, Volume 2 can exist without Volume 1, but if you have neither of them, you're going to lose something in Infinity War. Whereas without Black Panther, while we lose something in reality, we don't lose something relative to... Oh, damn. There's there's a very important point. <laughs> um yeah. And again, and then and then T'Challa T'Challa can show up in in Infinity War with his with with you know the people from Wakanda and still bring them back and help save or try to save the Vision and do these things. So yeah, you could still because you've introduced the character, there's still that wink that it that it exists. Now that's assuming that's assuming though that the Civil War exists and Civil War is part of Phase Three, so. Really, between Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Civil War, we only get one of them in this discussion. So it's so hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good, and I can't be objective because Guardians Volume Two connects with me on so many levels that I, I know it's impacting my judgment. But I love Black Panther. He's such a cool character, and it's so cool to finally see him on the big screen and be so good right out of the gate. Here's well, a question I have, real quick. Do either of you guys think, and again, try to put your personal things aside for a moment, do either of you guys think there's a possibility that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 wins the entire question of quintessential MCU movie? Because I don't know if it, I don't know if that really is likely, but I do think it's at least possible for Black Panther. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely with that statement. As much as I would love to say that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 could be in a weird multi-movie race. There's probably three or four of them that could take my top favorite spot, um, just for what it means to me. You know, Captain America, the first Avenger is there. Black Panther is actually there. You know what I mean? Like, there's some movies that float around. But um, 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So if, if we put those criteria up, we have one really strong thing in favor of Guardians 2 and leaving out the emotional part because I think the emotional part is just too hard of a string to cut. Um, Guardians Volume 2 has the really important what we just said, you know, the Infinity War and things need it to kind of happen. The stories mean more with it. Then Black Panther has the really important, how important of a film and how good of a film it is. Um, what's that tiebreaker? What's the middle thing? I think Axel nailed it, though. If if we take these and we put it against, you know, the Avengers movies and Civil War, which movie honestly has the best odds of coming out on top? And Black Panther gets it by a hair. It really because does. Because it has all of the stuff we've said, plus the cultural stuff, like the bigger, more important touchstone stuff that exists in the real world that kind of, you know, help it bat aside the age of Ultrons. Yeah, because, like, I'm not I'm not saying that, uh, that Black Panther is definitely going to win in my brain or anything, but there are a few movies that before we went in this conversation that I already had in my mind of what are probably going to be the real contenders for quintessential MCU movie. And as much as I love Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2... It wasn't one of the ones I thought of. No, I, I can't. Can, there was. I can kind of agree with you there, even though I personally would hate to say that. Here's here's a point that I think just does it. Okay, we kept Guardians of the Galaxy, or we we dropped Guardians one out because we said Guardians two was going to get a shot to fight it, and that's not the only reason we dropped Guardians one. But you know, we said there's another movie that's going to be able to introduce those themes. I want to step back to Guardians 1 for a minute because we're not pitting Guardians 1 against Black Panther, but since now where we stand, Guardians 1 doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Guardians 2 is the one to carry the torch for that film. The point comes out of which film was a bigger risk. And Hollywood film as a whole, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy seemed like a big risk at the time because these were unknown characters doing an Avengers thing. But it had the, as long as you advertise it from the studio that brought you the Avengers, more funny superhero-y people doing funny stuff, there was a decent enough chance you were at least going to make your money back. I'm not saying that, you know, there's still a lot of risk there. But Hollywood as a whole, society, consumerism, capitalism tells you that being woke using a negative term or doing something about social justice or things that are important is not something the average movie going public wants. They don't want to see a movie with politics in it. They don't want to see a movie that's going to make them sad about something. And black Panther cut right through that and said, not only do they want that, but it's going to make you a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, it also is, is also the kind of thing that we talk about importance to film, but we kind of did that in a vague way. This is a literal specific example of black Panther proved to all of the people in Hollywood that basically would would write off this exact kind of movie and now they are forced to acknowledge the that this kind of movie exists and that is not only exists but works and works extremely well and it's extremely popular and is the kind of thing that's literally good for the industry <laughs> yeah wow yeah also as one more side note for me and I know this is, this is an extremely uh, subjective thing. I would personally feel gross if Black Panther didn't win at least a single round. There's yeah, something about, I would just yeah. personally feel wrong about that. No, no, I, I, I agree with that. And that, that was a big thing. But I'm really glad it had a good contender 
to discuss against and not like, and not to say that there are any bad, you know what I mean? But like, if it had been Black Panther versus Ant-Man, it would have just been like, really, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> we have to have this conversation. Okay. Right? Who ranked Black Panther this low to get it up against Ant-Man? All right. Anyway, we, we've talked longer than we needed, but I think we all came to as much as we all love Guardians Volume 2 and I, we all have the emotional connection. Black Panther wins the round. Right. And, and I'm going right. to and I'm going to say this here um, as, as a support for this show. A, a reminder to people that we try to keep this light. This is supposed to you guys, you know, God, it's your show, not mine. But I think this is an important point. It's an escape from the darkest timeline, right? But sometimes, you know, what we just said, a movie about politics and a movie about social issues and race issues can cut through that red tape of also being entertaining and also being important. We were three white guys talking about that movie, tried to keep it about what we could discuss from our experience. So on more so than any other episode of your show I've ever been on, or even one that I've done, folks that have more authority and experience Get into the comments, you know, let us know if we missed some points. Let us know if there's, you know, even more important things. We want to hear more about, you know, Black Panther versus Guardians 2 or just Black Panther in general. Because um, I think that conversation is a really interesting one if you get the the right people who have an hell, authority and a respect to talk hell, about. In that, same, in that same thing, I had never heard of the, the, the Drax autism thing. But, yeah, it's huge. But now I'm like, I'm fascinated by that and I want to hear like you know that community kind of thing oh they love and, and god and he he has embraced it and even said you know he played the character the way that him and james gunn discussed and you know on, on the page it wasn't written down anything other than that this is just drax's character and batista said you know not looking at it it's like yeah this is this is a person who is representative of people on the spectrum you know that that whole you know everything is matter of fact in black and white and yeah that's just how his race his planet is but people have just embraced them, you know, that, that character. And he's now like a, a champion for them. And I think that's so damn cool. All right. Well, uh, that brings us with, we've got four winners and a movie undiscussed. So we will continue this conversation <laughs> in, in another, in our next installment. <laughs> oh no, sorry. Not to interrupt again, but I'm now reading. We literally, our round five is Black Panther versus Civil War. Oh, boy. <laughs> so not, not only is that a good matchup, but just the title. Oh, God. I'm going to show up some well, interesting you'll have to, you'll have to come, For those listening, you'll have to come back next time when we talk about it. And, of course, assuming Chris still wants to talk with us, he'll Never. join us this for This is the worst experience <laughs> of my life. So normally we would do a round of concluding thoughts, but we haven't reached a conclusion yet. So instead, yeah. So instead, I'd just like to uh, thank Chris again for coming on and give him his special soapbox. Where even though we didn't finish the topic yet, you still get to plug whatever you want to plug at this point, man. I want to plug Godzilla versus King Kong again, because <laughs> um, because I think I think everyone should see it. I I really was afraid we were going to lose movie theaters. And I still think in some ways that industry needs to change so it can't be affected this way by this type of thing ever again. Because I love films, but I also love being safe and not sick. Um, but really, you know, if, if you enjoyed what you heard from me on here, um, come find me. Um, if you really like the Geeks with Shields, they've been on plenty of episodes of my show. So that can be a good introduction. Um, 
I think we get along well together, and I think you'd get along well with my shows. Um, I'm the Chip and Made This. If you search that, you'll find everything I do. I do more podcasts than um, my my tiny voice um, is so tired and wants to name, but I do things about video stores called Talkbuster. I do stuff where I talk movies with my brother. I do stuff where I talk movies with my wife. I do stuff where I talk anything with anybody, and then I do some video shows on YouTube, and I just all around an enthusiastic guy that wants to talk about things that you're enthusiastic about with you. And um, these are two of the best friends I've ever made in, in my life, internet or otherwise. And I just really appreciate every time I get to talk. And one day we will get to a pub in Boston and all drink together. It will happen. <laughs> and you will hear all the voices, dude, guy, because we're going to fucking drink with Maki Mak kid. And it's going to be the fucking balls. Oh, my ears are going to... Damn right. I can do an Irish accent. I can't do a boss accent. You'll have to teach me. (laughs) It's like an Irish accent, only dumber and more drunk. Anyway. All right. (laughs) Make us into our outro. All right. If you've made it all the way through this and all our shenanigans, thank you so much. Do us a favor. Share this with your friends. Really drive the engagement. And, hey, let us know, like, at home, if you're playing along with us, where your choices are. I'm really curious what that is. And... Hey, share this, share this, share this, share this. That is literally the lifeblood of podcast. It only becomes more important as more people enter the podcasting business. And whatever platform you're currently listening to this on, thank you. It it does mean a lot to us. I know, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to podcasts, genuineness is possibly the most important thing. And I always try my hardest to just be you know, genuine, even when I have to read a little bit of scripting things, in this case, a list of platforms, which would be SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If there is some other platform that you would rather us be on, let us know what it is and we'll look into it. I've had a few suggestions, but I've been really busy, so I've had time to look into them. But still, that doesn't mean you can't give us more suggestions. We, we, we keep track. We list things. So, As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.